This morning, the scripture reading comes to us from Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Doug. Well, as we come to the passage this morning, as we jump back in, I just want to remind us where where we've been in Ephesians. More recently, when we were in Ephesians in December, we were looking at chapter 5, which starts with, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so that's the backdrop of All we're going to be talking about today, and even as we go into the the coming verses afterwards, we are seeking to be imitators of God. And so Paul talks to the Ephesians in wanting them to be imitators of God and hits specific application points. And in this particular passage, he's talking about the application point of how we spend our time. And we're going to see as we talk about spending our time that we are to walk in wisdom and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those two things. So those are the two points for this morning. So if you're a note taker, you're all done. You don't have to write any more notes. But those are the two things that we're going to look at. So the first one is we walk in wisdom. So look back at your Bibles. It says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So you're like, okay, what does, what does all that mean? What does it mean? Make the best use of the time. I know as soon as I start talking about time, as soon as you hear talking about time, you hear of the, you think of the frenzy in your life of like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have enough time. And that's not new. I read an article this week that was actually written 35 years ago. And it almost sounds like with the, with the absence of references to certain technologies that we have today, it sounds like today it was written in time magazine. It says how the the title was this, how America has run out of time, but this is how the article began. If you have a moment to read this story with your feet up, free of interruption, at your leisure, put it down, it's not for you. If like almost everyone else, you're trying to do something else at the same time. If you're stuck in traffic, waiting at the airport lounge, watching the news, if you're stirring the soup, shining your shoes, because we all do that, now, right? Uh, Drying your hair, read on or hire someone to read it for you and give you a report. We feel like the busyness. If you don't believe me, it's just right around us, right? Just the next time, maybe on your way home, when you stop at the traffic light and it turns green, just don't go forward. And 
just don't go forward. Just, just wait like 10 seconds. You will hear a concert of horns, right? Like we all feel this pressure of time. But God's word speaks to us and asks us the question, how are we spending our time? And when we see in the passage, it says, make the best use of the time. It's, it's speaking to us about buying back the time. Actually, that phrase is like buying back the time. If we use the time in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, we will buy back the time. Because wise people make the most of their time. Because time is passing. I mean, Paul says the days are evil. I don't we could all put ourselves in that place. We were praying this morning uh, before service as we always do that prayer meeting is there for you to come uh, to pray at 8.30 and someone prayed, Lord, uh, the, the, this letter to the Ephesians is written to us. What they experienced in their day, the heart issues in their day are still the same today. So when he says the days are evil, that wasn't just evil in that day, it's evil in our day. I don't think I have to convince you of that. What are we doing with our time? Jonathan Edwards, the philosopher, theologian, who was an instrument in the Great Awakening, he wrote some famous resolutions. They, they started with resolved, like when he was like in his early 20s. He wrote resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. That sounds like, oh, that sounds really cool. Now, here's the reality. As we talk about our time, I, I want to make this statement. Like, productivity does not mean that we are using our time wisely, making the best use of our time. Now, I'm all about productivity. I, I want to be productive. I want to, I wanted to as my, raise my children, wanted to help them to work hard and be productive. But sometimes we can trade making the best use of our time with, if I accomplish the most tasks, then God will love me more because I'm, I'm productive. I've checked off a gazillion things off the list. I've said this before. Maybe you're like me. Sometimes you accomplish something. It's not on the list. You put it on the list so that you can check it off the list because, oh, God's going to love me more because I got more stuff done than the other guy. That's not what it's saying. Are, are we going to the Lord and saying, Lord, how, how do you want me to use my time? Intentionality with our time actually takes time for us to have some personal reflection. Because of this constant demand on our time, stuff that has to get done and Things that work and kids and family and all kinds of things that are just constantly coming at us. We, we need to take some time to just say, Lord, what is most important? If you're looking for me to give you a list of what those exact things are, I'm not going to give it to you. Because I believe you need to get before the Lord because this is kind of the area of wisdom. But yet there is a call for us to ask the question. How is God calling you to spend 
your time. I try to take some time each year, actually a couple of times a year, where I just take a step back from my schedule and say, am I prioritizing the things that God's calling me to prioritize? And every single time I do that, I realize that I have let things slip in, come in. Sometimes really good things, but they aren't the things that that the Lord wants me to spend my time with. One of those things is just time to just be before the Lord. Sometimes it's extended times. So you're saying, Lord, did I think I've I've not been abiding as we've seen in that song. Lord, I want to abide in you more. There's any number of things. But ask yourself the question, how is God calling you to spend your time? That'd be a great date night discussion or a great conversation with your small group. It's wise people make the most of their time. Wise people also discern the will of the Lord. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Foolishness is what you would expect it to mean. It's lacking judgment, lacking prudence, being ignorant of something. And even as we read this, you know, what, is, what does it mean to understand the will of the Lord? That's some, I kind of remember it saying that back someplace else in the passage as we studied before. Doesn't it say that we need to, you know, understand what the, discern what is pleasing to the Lord in verse 10? I don't know about you. There's sometimes I'm like, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what God wants me to do. Do you ever feel that way? Like, I really do want to do what the Lord wants me to do. I'm not entirely sure what he wants me to do. Oftentimes that comes up in the big decisions that we have to make. Change of job, change of career, choice of school, choice of classes we need to take in school, all those kinds of things. But I want to set your mind at ease as we seek to understand what the will of the Lord is. Whether you have it in paper form or like electronic form, the majority of the things you need to know about what God wants you to do are found right here. No, it, there's not a chapter and verse to tell you what job you should take, what salary you should seek, the name of the person you should marry. Th- th- those aren't there. But the, the lion's share of things that we need to know to discern God's will are found right here in his word. Praying, taking counsel of God's word, taking counsel from mature Christians who are seasoned in the word helps us to understand what God's will is. And, and us and how we spend our time and growing, it's, it's a growth process to grow in wisdom. There's not a place in time in which you come in which you arrive. Till we see Jesus face to face, we're continuing to grow. I don't want anyone to feel like this weight of like, I'm doing something just wrong. Oh no! We know that this is a growth process. Paul is sharing this with the Ephesians because they need to hear it and we need to hear it. This is a process of sanctification that we are growing in to understand the will of the Lord. So, We walk in wisdom. The second way we spend our time, we're going to spend most of our time this morning, is being filled with the Spirit. So you're just like, well, that's not a particular action, is it? Like, just be filled with the Spirit? What does that mean? Look look back at your Bibles. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, which we'll talk about in a moment, for that is debauchery, but be filled 
with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes when you surrender your life to Jesus. So let me be clear about that. You, you don't have the Holy Spirit until you come and you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want to surrender to you. You're trusting in Christ to save you from the penalty of your sins and you get right with God. But when we trust in Jesus, when we surrender our life to him, he gives us the Holy Spirit, which is the promise of our inheritance. Inheritance. It's a seal from our inheritance. And that's how God communicates with us is through his spirit. So before we talk about being filled with the spirit, to be filled first with the spirit, we must surrender our lives to Jesus. That's a prerequisite. So if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, I can ask you to consider the claims of Christ and his call for you to leave everything and follow him. But if you've trusted in Christ, the, the normal Christian life is one where we are filled with the spirit. It's not just for like leaders. Leaders, those are the people that are filled with the spirit. Or that, that really mature, super godly woman that I know, she's filled with the spirit. I think it's for her. No, this is for every Christian. It's an ongoing experience for us to pursue being filled with the spirit. But Paul starts with saying, do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Why would Paul start with that? Well, in part, because in the culture that he is speaking to both wine and overindulgence were at the heart of the Greek culture. The wine god Bacchus dominated many lives and enslaved even some in the church. And that is true today. That, that is true today. Now, we're not going to take the time to unpack all of the details of the place that alcohol should or shouldn't have in the life of a believer. Okay, there, there's a matter of wisdom there. There's a reality that some of us should never engage in drinking alcohol because of either our own past experience or past experience of family and the temptations that are there. But scripture doesn't prohibit the, the use of alcohol, but that's not the whole point of this passage. Paul is wanting us to have our wits about us because it's never God's will for us to surrender our self-control over to any substance. So when you read wine, also insert any other substance that depresses the way that you think. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a known physician who then turned to one of the great preachers of the last century. He said this about strong drink. He said, it depresses first and foremost, the highest centers of all in the brain. They control everything that a man, <clears throat> that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest. The better a man's control, the better man he is. So we should ask ourselves, is there anything 
that we are giving ourselves to that deadens our senses? Is there any substance? Is there any practice that we have that deadens our senses? Because when our senses are deadened, that we're, we're opening ourselves up to what Paul says is debauchery. It's not a word we use all the time. But just open sin, evil practices. You, I could just list them. That's kind of the definition of debauchery. I mean, just the word itself makes you go, I don't think I want to do that. Whatever debauchery is, I don't want to do that. But we open ourselves up to not walking in the spirit. And there's a reality that substances affect people in different ways. People, people engage them in, for different reasons. Some people engage them because they want to interrupt the monotony of life. I'm, I'm bored. Some people engage them because they, they're trying to escape something. The pressures of life are too much. I want to escape something. And substances often temporarily change kind of the way we act. Personality change. Some people become super calm. Some people get giddy. Some people want to take on the world. The, the wimp becomes the hero because he's willing, his inhibitions are gone. And so... So the world can look at that and go, oh, that's really cool. That's a really great time. But losing control really puts us in a place where we're, we're open to not walking in the spirit where we're, because the spirit's self-control. But there's hope here. So Paul's not just, he's not just laying down a rule. He's not just going, okay, this is a rule. Don't do this. No, he's saying be filled with the spirit because that's good news. Be filled with the spirit because there's so much more for you in the spirit. Don't be given to this thing that gives you some kind of temporary, you know, relief or lies to you. John Piper said this, he said, whatever joy or peace you find in alcohol, the spirit of God can give you more. I love that quote. If you're anxious and you think that substances are going to solve the anxiety problem, I guarantee you they will not solve the anxiety problem. They won't. Temporarily, it'll feel like it. Because really at the root of anxiety is fear of something. You see the world and you realize I can't navigate the world. That's just one thing. I can't navigate through this situation. I don't think I can do it. But the spirit of God is given us to teach us all things. The spirit of God opens up his word to us to remind us of who God is and that he's on the throne. That God came and he lived among us. He, he has experienced all of the things that we experienced, yet he didn't sin. And he defeated the death and grave. That's what the spirit of God will tell us and remind us. Reminds us that when God speaks, things, things are created. Something out of nothing. That he's over all of the world and the universe. Reminds us of his faithfulness to his people. That's what the spirit of God does. So be filled with the spirit. 
It's not some kind of like spiritual intoxication of like, oh, I'm just having some subjective experience. No. Being filled with the spirit satisfies longings that we have in our hearts, like the longing that's described in Psalm 42.1 that says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. We have that longing in our heart, but sometimes that longing gets misplaced and we think it's for a substance or a relationship or something else. But really, that, that longing can be satisfied in the presence of God and through his spirit. Jesus said, if a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So not just us receiving something and experiencing the peace that we're longing for or the joy that we're longing for, but it becomes flowing out of us. We become useful in his hands. We become a, a channel of grace for the people of God and for others. We become the aroma of Christ to God, to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing when we are filled with his spirit. So let us not be controlled by anything but be submitted to God's spirit. So as we seek to be filled with the spirit, we see here in this passage four results of walking with the spirit. This isn't the list of the fruits of the spirit, but it is results as we are walking with the spirit. We are going to see these. We're going to experience these in our life. The first one is we're going to experience fellowship with one another and in a unique way. Look at what it says in the passage. So uh, in verse 19, so first, verse 18 first, and do not get drunk with wine for that is the debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm going to just stop right there because I know as soon as I read that, you, you're going Welcome, Brother Charlie. Thank you for coming to church today. Oh, wonderful. Thank you that you are praising the Lord. No, this is not a musical. Like, Paul is not saying, okay, now the church is like a living musical and we're going to go around singing. And some of you are like, I'm so glad. Like, oh, I did not want, because that just sounds weird to me. It just sounds weird to me to show up in small group and the first 10 words that come out of my mouth have to be, uh, you know, in tune. And some of you are like, I'm so glad that so-and-so is not going to come and sing because that could kill the fellowship in our time together. But no, there's, there's a heart that, that the Lord is getting at in communicating this. When the, when the saints get together and they're filled with the spirit, there's something that marks the fellowship. There's a mutual encouragement that happens. We've talked about stirring one another up. Are you stirring one another up in Christ? When you gather, so it says here, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. Are, are you, is the word of God saturating the speech that you have as you engage with the saints? 
Are, are you building one another up? Are you bringing truth to bear as you have conversation, not just giving some practical advice on how to change the oil in your car? Those are the super helpful. Those of you who've helped me with things, super helpful, practical things. But are we encouraging one another in the word? Is that, is that what marks our fellowship? Whether we're in a small group together, whether we're hanging out for coffee or in this large gathering, are we addressing one another in this way? Because the scripture is kind of filled with calling people to worship the Lord. Let me give you one example. If you leave your finger in Ephesians and flip to the Psalms, flip to Psalm 95. There's many Psalms we could turn to. But the beginning of Psalm 95 says this. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. There's an invitation to come and worship the Lord. Come and worship the Lord. That's not just reserved for the person who is the worship leader who stands wherever on the stage. God's calling us to invite each other to worship the Lord. When we are filled with the Spirit, we are going to encourage one another to worship the Lord. And sometimes that encouragement comes with a timely word. Maybe in that moment, you don't break out in song and dance. But something changes when someone engages you in your small group with, with the word of God open. I don't know about you. How many times have you gone to small group and you didn't want to go? Because you're like, it's been a busy day. I cleaned three blowout diapers today and I'm behind on the, my project at work and I'm just tired and I just don't want half eaten Cheerios for dinner. And then you go to small group and then you leave and man, you're just full. It's because... You're dressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's why worship is so important. That's the second one. Corporate worship is important. So it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We're going to be singing and making melody to the Lord. Now, those of you who don't like to sing, you're like, hey, it says with, with your heart. I don't have to sing. Nope, nope, it says with my heart. Here's the deal. When, when you plant a seed in the ground um, and you water it, it, it grows. We love that at our house. Someone planted some strawberries before we moved into our house. And every year we get these fresh strawberries if, if we can get to them before the rabbits do. We get these fresh strawberries and it's wonderful because they were planted in the ground and it bore fruit. The spirit-filled Christian who is worshiping the Lord with all their heart, it, it's gonna come out some way. It doesn't just kind of stay in the ground and we just kind of leave it there. I'm worshiping the Lord with my heart, but it doesn't come past here. Now, there's plenty of places in scripture that we can go, whether Paul saying in, in uh, Timothy, lifting holy hands, or, or places in the Psalms that there's a song that singing is not optional 
for us. When we gather, we're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. That's why this gathering is so important every week. Not that watching from home can't happen. Like there's some folks right now, I love you. I'm so glad you're watching from home. I wish you didn't have to, but I know you're sick today and you're serving everyone by not having nastiness all over them. Okay? They're home, but they can, they can engage. And I'm grateful that we have technology that that can happen. But that's not the regular diet. Because you don't get this mutual encouragement that happens. There's just something happens in song when you're singing with other people. And they're singing and worshiping the Lord. And you're just like, oh, they're not paying attention to me. And then we start to sing and engage. I want to ask the question, what keeps you from engaging in worship like this? Whatever that looks like for you and the personality, the way that God's made you, is it the fear of man? Is it pride? Is it preoccupation with lesser things? Let's be engaged in worship. Let's care about one person when we come to engage in worship. Jesus, that's absolutely right. Let's engage with him. Let's not worry about the people next to us. Now I do, I'm kind of big and, and I do, I have, may have bonked my kids in the head with my arms when we sing in church. So I do, I am aware to that degree, but let's just sing. Let's, let's be unhindered in our worship of the king. Remember Martin Luther brought singing hymns to the church during the reformation and Another example, Charles Wesley wrote 6,000 hymns. That's just amazing. I can't write one song, but 6,000 hymns during the Wesleyan revival. Revival and singing seem to go hand in hand because transformed lives by the power of the gospel and lives that are filled with the spirit bear the fruit of worshiping together and of being grateful because it, Paul goes on, says, uh, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude is often the overflow of the Spirit residing in us. And I love this about you. I love the gratitude that I see. I see how you express that to one another. I see how you express that to the Lord. But there's a reality. We need to we need to confront ourselves with is that grumbling is not compatible with being filled with the spirit. The people of God were in Israel were known for their grumbling and complaining as they murmured against Moses. And so if we find ourselves in a place where we're not thankful, like we start to have a pattern of not being thankful that should be a red flag to us. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. I want to be filled with your spirit because I know when I'm filled with your spirit, I'm aware of your amazing generosity. I'm amazing, amazed at what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I, I'm aware of your working in my life. Just help me to see that, Lord. Because we're not thanking God for things that are, are bad or evil. We, we're not thanking God. So when, he, when he says, thank God always and for everything, we're not thanking God for evil. We walk with those who are walking through hard things. 
We weep with those who weep, but yeah, it is true. We do see God working in the midst of hard and trial, and we can be thankful for the work that he is doing in us. I think of a young lady in Liberia who, I don't think she's five foot tall. I think if you're five foot tall, you would be tall compared to her. Her name is Patience. That's her name. And uh, I think her smile is bigger than her face. Every time I've seen her, just huge smile. And Patience, I remember the first time I went to her church in Buchanan, not down the road, but over the sea in Buchanan, Liberia. And she took us to her house that she was building with the sand that she was collecting that had flowed down the street during the rainy season. And she had joy talking with us about the house that she was building with these sand blocks. Later I came to find out she was married to a guy who was a jerk wasn't treating her like he should have been. But I wouldn't have known that. I was so grateful she was a part of a local church that cared for her, that walked with her, that, that, that walked with the husband and had hard conversation with him. I'm grateful for that pastor and his wife and how they were caring for her. But her joy and gratitude just overflowed because she was full of the Spirit. Now, the passage ends with this. A, a, a result of walking with the Spirit is, in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, as soon as I read that, some of you have hairs that have popped up on the back of your neck because you hear the word submitting, and you're just like, ah, ah, what's he going to say? Maybe, maybe you have a twitch. I don't know. The sad reality is that the word submission has become synonymous with abuse. Nefarious teachers of God's word have wrongly taught and applied and been poor examples of what is being said here. I just want to throw that out there. I, I get that for some of you, that that was your experience and that's what you immediately go to. And sometimes you don't even hear what we might be talking about because that, that's been your reality. I'm so, so sorry that that's been your experience. It grieves me to know that. But as we look at this passage and we see the call to be submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ, we must rightly understand it. Yes, submit does mean to arrange under. It does mean it in the original, like it's, it's referring to like when, when subordinate soldiers submit to a, a superior ranking officer. It, it does it does have that connotation to it. Good soldiers, they surrender their control. They turn loose of their selfish agendas and live in submission for the good of others. 
That's the spirit of this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ isn't about submitting ourselves to some kind of, of leader because submission isn't something that should be demanded. Submission is something that should be given. Does that make sense? But there's a benefit for us of submission. But before we talk about that, we can't get past submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We can't talk about submission without looking at Jesus. Think about what Jesus did in, in one particular moment. God incarnate. So Jesus comes. And remember when he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus, you know, dis you know, takes his, his garments off. He's not, you know, he's not fully naked. He's just, but he's taking garments off. He's got his garments there. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. These are individuals who were prideful, who were arrogant. They constantly said dumb things and did dumb things. And he washes their feet. the scene is awkward because they're like, whoa, whoa, I don't, we should be washing your feet. No, he washes their feet. And this is what he says. Now that I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. We must look to Christ. Now, again, that doesn't mean that someone should be a doormat. That doesn't open the door. Uh, we, we do not stand for abuse of any kind. I want to be clear. The police need to be called, we call the police. But in our relationships with one another, we must recapture this submitting to one another. We're not talking about marriage yet. That's going to come in future passages. We're talking about the, this mutual submission with one another and something that God does when we humble ourselves before our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we display the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Being filled with the Spirit is going to bear the fruit. What, is that? what does that look like in your life? What does it look like to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Let me just share a couple, couple of things, maybe. Maybe you're struggling with something in your life. You're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ when you come to a small group and you say, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. Can you help me? It's vulnerable. I get that. It's hard. But you're saying, hey, I need, I need your help. God's put you in my life. Will you help me? Men, it looks like you guarding yourself in purity or women in, in the same way. In my life, it looks like there's a guy in our church, well, there's more than one guy in our church that have that get notifications whenever my phone like glances over something. I, I kind of laugh sometimes that the, the software that I have sometimes alerts when you know I'm looking up 
stickers for Harvest Kids or something like that. And there's just a particular word and it, it alerts something. I don't know. That's awesome. I love that. But those guys get a report it's as frequent as every day as they need to. Why? Because I don't even want there to be a hint of stuff in my life. I'm submitting to them. I'm saying, guys, speak into my life. If you see anything, I want, I want to open that door. I want to have that kind of relationship because I, I want to be more like Jesus. I don't want to hide anything. Looks like when we're struggling with something with, with work or, or a job or struggling with our kids, we're coming and we're just being open about it. We're asking for input. And we're not being selective. Like, okay, I'm going to ask you for input, but, you know, I really don't like that input. Because, you know, I kind of like kind of harboring this little bad attitude in my heart. We just ask for input. It, parents, it looks like you for you asking input from your kids. They see you like you really are. They do. Ask for their input. Kids, you should be asking your parents for input. Because the Bible tells you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. They're Christians. They've walked before. They know a few things. I'm telling you, they know a few things. They know when not to walk into a hole. They know when you're struggling with something, they've done it before. If you're kind of like of the age where you're kind of starting to be on your own, you're like, oh, I'm independent. You should, be, you should be talking to them all the more. There's just more dangerous things out there. Even if it's the sink that you're trying to fix, I would have been so wise to submit to one another in so many home projects. So it's asking counsel. It's saying, I need help. It's not hiding. It's seeking help. And again, it's not demanded. It's given. It's a beautiful thing when it's given. It's a beautiful thing when love is exchanged. Because remember, the backdrop of this is being imitators of God. God who speaks and stuff is created out of nothing, who can make you move, waits patiently for you, is gentle, sacrifices for you. Paul even said in Philippians 2, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Healthy submission to one another is a result of walking with the Spirit. And I have to specifically say healthy submission because we need to have a conversation. And if you're like still going, I'm not really sure, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. Let's pray together. I'm not demanding something or commanding something. I'm saying, well, this is what the Bible says, and it's a fruit of the Spirit. And when it works, as Christians are walking in the Spirit, it shows the world something that the world doesn't see. Because the world takes advantage. The world waits when you're right in the, in the spot and they, they take advantage of you, they use you, but not in the church. That's not what the church is to look like. The church is to reflect Christ, to reflect something different. Some of them are like, you're open? Aren't you? You're actually real with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah. It's the only, it's the only way that I grow. The world, they don't get it because they, they live at arm's length. Now, as I close, 
Remember, to be filled with the Spirit is not optional. It's not an optional thing. It's something that all Christians do. It's for every Christian, the entire church. It's not a technique. (laughs) Being filled with the Spirit isn't a particular technique of something that you do. Yet when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be confessing your sin. You're going to be surrendering to the Lord. You're going to seek to obey His Word. You're going to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart and whatever that looks like for you. But being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing experience. And as we continue in Ephesians, remember this is the backdrop for when we talk about roles of husbands and wives, when we talk about how children should relate with their parents and parents with their children, when we talk about how you engage with those at your workplace, when we talk about all those things, the backdrop is being an imitator of God and being filled with the Spirit. So let's let keep that as the backdrop. And just remember, when you trust in Christ and you get the Spirit, Remember what it says in Ephesians 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God, when he sends his spirit and you see the spirit active in your life, be reminded When he said, I'm with you always to the end of the age, he is with you always. The spirit of God is the guarantee. When you see the spirit working in your life, whether it's bringing conviction or bringing joy or both at the same time, that means that because of what Christ has done, you are his. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, we, we have covered a lot of ground, some specific things that have unearthed things for us. Lord, I ask that you would just still our hearts right now and be reminded of Christ. Remind us of what Christ has done. because we can't do any of the things that we've talked about if we don't first look to him as the example, if we don't first surrender our lives to him because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who's interceding for us. Lord, may we not feel these things as weights, but as freedom, as gifts that you have given us, Lord. But as you work with us, Lord, just help us to just settle our hearts and hear your voice speak to us. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.